Thanks for listening to the Imago Day podcast. If you live in the Portland area, we'd love to invite you into the life of our community. You can find out what's going on at idcpdx.com slash events or on social media at Imago Day PDX. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, my friend, my friend Maurice just pointed out that I didn't really dress up for the occasion of preaching for the first time at Imago. And I want you to know that's because I get really excited and sweaty when I preach, so I have to wear black t-shirts. Um, so this morning, we are beginning a series that we have had around Imago for many years now. We call it Saving Justice. And when Saving Justice first started years and years ago, it was this space that the pastoral team wanted to create that would be really extra intentional toward this idea of what does it look like to focus in on certain justice issues. And while it certainly comes up time to time in in sermons as folks are preaching and leading around here, because justice is at the root of so much of what we see in scripture, we also thought like we probably need some built-in spaces to get into a place where we could address even current cultural issues um, that might not have a platform for us to kind of look at how does this interact with the heart of Jesus and his invitation for us. And so we're entering into the next three weeks of being in that place again. So some years we've taken a look at what it means that Black Lives Matter. Some years we've taken a dive into the complexity of immigration and refugee issues. Um, We have taken bigger glimpses of race and ethnicity living in the context that we find ourselves in here in Portland, Oregon. And this year we're kind of just taking a deep breath and going all the way back to the beginning of it all. We're taking a step back to say, what does Jesus have to do with justice? And I know that for many of us here at Imago, this, this may or may not be you, but for many of us, we've kind of made these assumptions that to care about justice is the right thing to do. And spoiler alert, you might know that I think it is the right thing to do. Um, but I think it's really important as followers of Jesus that we actually stop and think about why it's the right thing to do. Why is this the invitation of Jesus versus being folks who live in a very cultural, uh, a city that likes to be very culturally woke and then slapping a Jesus label on something so that people just know we're not those kind of Christians. We're, we're the cool kind of Christians, right? And maybe we're not saying that out loud, but I know for myself and I know for many folks that I talk to here in this community, that can be this place we find ourselves in sometimes. I think there's, there's also a crew of us here in this community that for a multitude of reasons, when we hear somebody up here talking about justice, it actually brings a lot of other things out of us that we're like not interested in engaging with. And so I want you to know whatever place that you're in right now, the invitation is for followers of Jesus to continue growing in a sense of who we are and why we are who we are instead of just proving a point of what we're always for or against. Like, sometimes it's important to just pause, to take a breath, and to be present to what Jesus might want to lead us into in this moment. And so that's what we're doing this morning. And I say all of this as somebody who, on the very first Sunday 
that I ever came to Imago. It was a week in like 2014 or 2015. I remember Rick was preaching that day and he was dropping all these lines um, about justice and how it connected to the very heart of Jesus. And because of my faith tradition and where I had grown up in, um, as he is talking about this idea of Jesus coming to make us right with God, and one of the invitations flowing from that is this invitation to allow the love of Jesus to bring us into more wholeness with one another too. That, was, that is part of the work and sacrifice and invitation of justice. As I'm listening to that, I'm like, this is some kind of heretic. I'm like, what kind of church? I just moved, into, moved to Portland. I'm like, what kind of church is this place? Um, and my partner at the time was like, this is the cool kind of church. This is where we're supposed to be. And I'm like, I don't even know if this is in the Bible. But as it turns out... It is in the Bible, and, um, and now after swearing I would never be a pastor, <laughs> I'm the pastor of justice and mercy here at Imago. Um, and, and because of the way that I have understood the heart of Jesus to intersect with the invitation of justice here in this Imago community, I just, I, I'm speaking out of a place of having my life completely wrecked by it. Um, and I mean that in the best of ways, but I can tell you that every single complex, messy, wild piece of my life right now, and there are many, um, is because of figuring out what it looks like to say yes to the invitation of Jesus in these justice spaces and then the other not as great wreck part is usually when I say no. And so I come here not to pretend like I, I get everything, but I do get that it matters for us to have these conversations. I do get that it matters for us to actually listen to what God is inviting us in to do in response to these conversations. So today, I want to invite you to get curious with Scripture with yourself, with the stories you hear, and to step into a space of getting a little more settled on why you might also choose to live in a way that looks like the love of Jesus that is rooted in justice. I know that for some of us, um, we're feeling defensive. For some of us, we're feeling fired up. For some of us, honestly, you're like, I do not actually care what this guy is talking about this morning because I have 500 other things in my life that are pulling my heart and my brain, and I'm feeling it in my body today, and that is okay too. So I want to invite you right now, and this is kind of weird, I want to invite you to just put your feet on the ground. I want to invite you to just close your eyes for a second. Just take a deep breath. And to hear this. Wherever you're at this morning, as we come together on Sunday today, this goal is not just to listen to some teaching. The goal is to gather in community, to know and be known, to reorient ourselves toward the one that knows and loves us because he made us. I'm speaking to my own self too here today. This does not happen when we are not actively participating in the pieces of the gathering that Jesus is inviting us into. So God, we ask right now that you would figure out what it looks like to actively participate in what you have for us today. Keep our hearts soft and our hands open. 
We love you so much, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. So the text we're going to look at in just a little bit is in James 1. So if you like to look at the text as we read it together, you can open up your Bible. I just did it like open up your Bible like an app because that's how I open up my Bible. Um, You can open up your Bible to James chapter 1. We're going to be in the NIV translation. Um, If you are willing, I would invite you to take some notes today. Not because I'm like dropping tweetable lines all the time. Um... But, but I have been praying this week that God would reveal to us in this community what he wants to hear, what he wants us to hear through stories and songs and scripture and seeing one another's faces today. Um, so take note of what Jesus is revealing to you through his spirit today um, so you don't forget as we go from this place. So before we get in, to James in the New Testament, we're actually going to kick it all the way back to the beginning of the Bible that we have in the Old Testament. In the spaces that we see justice woven into the ways that God has always intended for his people to live in. So when we talk about justice, it, it helps me to think about it in terms of partnering with God to bring a more whole sense of his love to this world. Partnering with God to bring a more whole sense of his love to this world. This idea of making things right and honoring the privilege that it is to participate in the work that God is doing. That's what justice is when we're talking about it today. And in the Old Testament, there are kind of two ways that justice is looked at and approached And God is asking his people to step into. So the first one is kind of a systemic structural justice. Um, And I know for some of us when we hear systemic justice or something like that, that's like kind of a trigger for us. But it's really in the Bible. There's a Bible project video that explains it way better than I can. So you can go do that instead of me just trying to pretend like I came up with it. Um, When we talk about Um, racism, though that might not be in the Old Testament like we think of it today. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about. These structures that we have that keep indigenous folks, people of color, people new to the United States, um, that we, that keep people down. So if you feel like I'm making that up, go look at that. It's really in the Bible, these structural systems that oppress people. It's a reminder to me when I think about that, how the Church of, Uni- of the United States has often approached justice. I'm speaking generally and, and historically here, but it sort of flies in the face of that, the way we've often done that. The church in the U.S. has a reputation of, and there is data and facts and science to prove this, um, that the U.S. church, largely white folks within the U.S. church, are the ones in our country that are most likely to deny that issues like systemic racism and systemic injustice exist. That systemic problems exist. The idea of the American dream that anyone can achieve anything if they just work hard enough is certainly not biblical. And when we live in that mindset, it stops us from living fully toward a life of justice where we claim there's no work to be done because people just need to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. But a more biblical version, when we look at this big kind of systemic justice, a biblical version of justice might acknowledge and respond out of the recognition that some of us got bootstraps while some of us didn't even get boots or socks. And so there's this systemic justice that has to be addressed. 
And God does that. And then there's this kind of justice that is personal. This idea that maybe I hurt you and I have a responsibility to respond accordingly to you because of the hurt that you felt because of what I did. This is something I work through with my kids all the time. My two little kids are six and 10, and they know when they hurt one another with their bodies or their words, there is a process that we go through in our family. We just say, how are you gonna make it right? I'm often saying that to my oldest. I'm say, so I say, how are you gonna make it right with your little brother? You need to go check in with him. And she knows, I'm sorry that you're sad is not gonna cut it. She knows that when she goes over to her little brother, she is saying explicitly what she is sorry for. And, and that's when she's ready, so maybe she's gonna take some space for a couple of hours until she feels some remorse or gets tired. Um, but she knows, I am sorry that I called you stupid and slapped you in the face. Not that that's happening in my home, but sometimes. And then, she knows the next step is, what do you need from me to make it right? What do you need from me to make it right? And sometimes that's a hug. Sometimes it's, you need to stay away from me for a couple of hours. Sometimes it's, maybe you could give me half of your Rice Krispie treat. Um, but, it, but this is another kind of justice, right? It's not this big picture, but it is this interpersonal justice. And both of those things are at the heart of God and even how he creates laws for people to follow and to be in right standing with him, with each other, and as a community. So there's big justice work, there's, there's smaller justice work, and it all really matters a lot. In the very beginning, in the garden, big picture justice takes place. Things were done wrong, and now everything is impacted. This leads to personal injustice between folks like Cain and Abel. I would imagine it also led to a lot of fights between Adam and Eve. It also would impact all of humanity and how humanity would treat each other until today. When we look at the story of Abraham. There's this place called Sodom and Gomorrah that's very, very, very famous for being very, very, very terrible. In fact, it's so terrible that God is like, we're out. Let's get rid of this spot. And I always think it's interesting that one of the main things that's listed as to why God is so angry with the people in these communities is because they are not caring for the poor and they are taking advantage of people. When we move into the story of Egypt and the Exodus, it is clear that this is not God's heart for people to be in bondage. In the church, we like to use the story of Exodus to, to tell these really over-spiritualized stories about the things that keep us in bondage in our lives today, and that is a real thing, and it is not God's desire for anybody to be in literal bondage and slavery either. It is clear that God had something to do with moving people out of that. And as people moved out of that place, they would begin to understand that even though they had been wronged, 
that there was still wrong that was happening between them that they had to work out. There was still an invitation for them to care for each other in the community that they found themselves in and to trust God while they were doing that. In the story that we, we see in, with Moses and, and manna falling from the sky, God made it so that nobody would be able to take more than they needed just for that day. And if they did, it would turn into maggots, which is like what a story for the United States of America to hear. To not take more than we need for the day. When we look at the Ten Commandments and we look at the laws, it is clear that God's heart is that people would not be taking advantage of each other. It is clear that God has set up this structure that when you love me first and you love people in the ways that you love me, things are how they're supposed to be. And since that's really hard, I'm going to give you five bajillion different laws to figure that out. In the establishment of the Jewish kingdoms, kings are constantly under fire from God. God is enraged in how his people and his leaders didn't represent his heart. His will and caring for, for what I call the Old Testament big three, which is the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. They were constantly forgetting that they too were once a stranger. That they were also once living without they were also and were always also at the complete mercy of God and anyone around them that might take pity on them. As you move into the prophets of the Old Testament, prophets are constantly speaking to this. Folks like Amos talking about God desiring justice to flow down. Folks like Micah saying, you think you know what God wants, but here is what God actually wants. So like, put away everything else and do this. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And the way that that's set up is that you are doing justice, you are loving mercy, so that you are walking humbly with God. It's not like a choose-your-own-adventure here. It's like, here's the package deal when you get a real glimpse of who God is and what his heart is like. And so then in the New Testament, Jesus comes into the story and he is constantly standing with, and I would even say favoring the outcast, the underdog, and the unclean. He reminds followers of God that he has not come to just abolish the law. He's come to fulfill it. He's like, all these things that you've memorized, all these things that you can say, all these like, bi like Torah competitions that you're having, like that's all for me. Like I am it. So now we're finally getting to James. I believe that for the readers of James's letter, all of this would be in their minds. They were Jews that had now come to believe in Jesus. And they are trying to figure out what it looks like to live in light of his radical love, grace, and mercy. And still feel the weight of all these ways that they've always been told that they were supposed to live. So now we're in James 1. The writer of this, we think pretty strongly, is James, the brother of Jesus. 
And we know that Mary had multiple children. We know from gospel narratives that the siblings of Jesus also seemed to be embarrassed by him. That there was certainly a time where they had thought Jesus saying he was God and the way to God, that, that Jesus was actually like completely off his rocker. Jesus' own family for a time did not believe that he was who he said he was, which, to be honest, fair. Like, if my kids are having breakfast with each other and one of them drops a line about being God, one of them is getting Cheerios in the face, right? Like, that's a lot to take in. So James, I'm assuming, because, you know, death and resurrection and seeing someone die and then being alive again is quite compelling— He has begun to tell a new story. His whole life and now religion is taking on a new light as we see James becoming a prominent leader in the early church. In spaces where James, where Jews are wondering what does it look like to hold religion in the ways we've always known and add to that a savior that has come and died and risen and now, now shown us a more excellent way to live, a more excellent way to love. What does this all mean? So I take seriously the words of James, knowing that at one point James too was like, nah, bro, this isn't it. And then we also know that years later, James was probably killed by other Jews for essentially not denouncing Jesus. So he believes so strongly in the beauty of who Jesus is and the kind of life that he offers that he is willing to die for it. So that is compelling to me. It is especially compelling when I think about the emphasis James puts on the sort of shape our lives should be taking and that they should be shaped around caring deeply and intentionally for the marginalized. Much of Jewish tradition and moral ethic was shaped around this idea too, but it's even more compelling when I think about it in the context of James knowing that Jesus came and said, nothing you can ever do will make God love you any more, any less. And with that freedom, you have an invitation to love your neighbor well through the strength and wisdom that God is freely offering you through the Spirit. So that's why I think these words of James that we're about to finally read hold so much weight. So James 1, 22 through 27 says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. James is clearly not messing around here. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I want to pause and I would like you to look at that with me again one more time. We're going to just read 26 and 27 out loud. 
I want to invite you to consider what stands out to you in that and why it might be standing out to you as we hear that. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What is striking to me about this is that, oh, it's like 500 things, but what, one of the things that really strikes me in this is that James isn't, isn't kind of creating this outlook of justice as an add-on. He's saying, if you are about the heart of Jesus and who he is and what he's inviting you into, here's what it looks like. And it's not very confusing. Like, it's pretty straightforward. So James is saying, you are a fool if you are walking around saying all the right things, but you're not actually caring for those that you've been told your whole life to care about the most. When he's talking about a tight rein on your tongue, I don't think he's just telling us not to cuss and curse. I think he is saying, take a second, examine yourself, and let God examine you and actually listen to him. Is what you say matching what you do? Because if not, you can be clear on what James thinks of that sort of way of living. He tells us clearly, what is acceptable to God is centering ourselves on him versus all the things around us that are distracting us from the real, true versions of his love. And then our invitation is to live actively with that love and extend it in actual ways to those who so deeply desire it around us. This is not an opt-in if you're feeling in the mood today. It is clear that James understands the fullness of what we are called to do involves moving toward and inviting in those who are unprotected and lonely. Those who don't have the means on their own to survive and keep making it anymore. So what does it mean to live in this way? What does it look like to actively live in a way that is rooted in Jesus's love and moves toward ways of living more justly? I think it starts with this. Maybe this is overly simple, but I think it begins with knowing that you are deeply loved. I think this is what breaks us free of the guilt of acting like we have to prove ourselves to anybody because we cannot prove ourselves enough. Being loved makes us free. It changes things. I remember <clears throat> a couple of years ago, one of my kids was having a really, really, really difficult day. And we took some space. And one of the things that one of my kids was wrestling with was whether or not they were going to be in our family forever. Because we had been fostering and we were moving toward adoption. But when you're in this place of like limbo for a long time, it can feel really complex to trust the people who are telling you you're going to be sticking around and we love you. 
And so I remember we, we were having like a gathering in our house and there was tons of people and one of my kids is having a really hard time and we go upstairs and I'm talking to her and I'm like, what, what can I do? I just remember saying, what can I do to convince you that I love you? And she goes, well, do you have any permanent markers because I'd like to write on the wall? And I'm like, what the heck is going on in this child's head right now? And she's like, I'm going to need gold because that's the color of royalty. And I'm like, we have moved really quick into like taking over here. That's great. Um, And so she took a permanent gold Sharpie and wrote her full name with with the last name King for the first time. And she said, you're not going to be able to scrub this one off, Dad. Which is messed up, but also, she's right, it's still there. Um, And for the next weeks and months and years now, she walks by it, and I asked her for permission to share this, by the way. She walks by it, and she'll just touch it, and she's like, I'm permanent. And I think that story to me is like such a beautiful reminder of like the freedom that we can start living in when we know that we are stuck inside somebody's love. And people of Imago, if you know Jesus, that is the freedom you get to live in right now. You don't have to prove something to anybody. You don't have to do a woke checklist. You don't have to like read all the right books and do all the right things. Like you are free to be loved and lovely just because you're in Jesus. There's literally nothing better than that. And our response to that love gets to be that things start looking different. The love of God is wild and beautiful. Jesus tells this story that I'm really, really, really obsessed with that reminds us what the invitation is for us and for those around us. And this invitation is to come to the table. He tells this story. We call it the prodigal son story. I have a picture of it, of it that a, a painter named Scott Erickson did um, that kind of tells a little bit of this story. So in this story, this son over here down the road, he pieces out one day and he's like, Dad, I actually just wish you were dead and I want what's mine and I'm going to go live my best life now. And he does that until everything runs out. And, and in the story Jesus tells, he's like hanging out with pigs and he's looking at the pig food and he's like, that looks good. I have nothing and so that looks good. And, and, and how Jesus tells it, the son starts creating like an I'm sorry speech, right? I don't know if you all have ever started an I'm sorry speech in your head, but when I do, it also involves like this disgusting pit in my stomach that makes me want to barf. This, this idea that I'm going to have to go to somebody and say sorry and then have all the consequences of it, but maybe they'll just have a little bit of mercy on me. And so in the story Jesus tells, the son starts walking home. And before he can even get close enough to the house to talk to his dad, his dad is running down the driveway to him. I guess they weren't driving back then, but whatever it is. The, son, the, the dad is running towards his son, kisses 
his beautiful pig food face and says, we're having a party. Before he can even do his I'm sorry speech, he's forgiven. Imagine what that kind of love does to a person. That's what you and me have access to. And who in the heck are we to keep anybody from that table that Jesus has set for his people? And that is why justice matters. There is a table that Jesus is setting for all people to know what his love is like. And if we are just sitting on our behinds thinking that's someone else's problem to figure out, there are a lot of people who will never know that there is a nameplate sitting on a chair waiting for them to dine with Jesus. So justice is not someone else's problem. Justice is our invitation. And we cannot just sit idly by now that we know that. No one gets to the table of belovedness when injustice continues to thrive. The larger universal church in the world throughout history has done so much beautiful good in the world. And I will say that in the last several hundred years that the church in the United States doesn't necessarily have that same reputation. We have ignored, we have pushed out, we have held tight to things that aren't even in the Bible. We have called evil good and good evil. And we have lived in ways individually and collectively that have paved the way for injustice to thrive. And there is a lot to name and mourn in that reality. So when we get back to James and his exhortation for the early church, he is saying, listen, here's what faith actually looks like. It is an invitation into the marginalized spaces and making space for those folks to be who they are, to be loved by Jesus. He actually calls Christians out and he's like, you are giving the wealthy ones that have it all together seats at the head of the table in front of the house, but the folks that don't have the means to be all together are sitting where no one has to see them so we're not distracted by them. So we don't have to feel guilty that there are folks in our community suffering while the rest of us pretend like everything is fine and praise God. But real praise requires a wholeness to be formed in our life. And part of that fullness is recognizing who people are, listening to what they say we need, and getting them what they need to make it to the table. Giving them not just a place at the table, but a seat at the head of the table, and including them in the meal at the table. A good meal at a table makes us feel like we're at home. And our invitation in participating with God and doing away with injustice more and more requires us to invite people home. It requires us to make good meals. And I'm not just talking about literal food in case you're not picking up on the metaphor. Part of this work that we are invited to do looks like humbling ourselves and listening to folks in and from marginalized communities. Part of this looks like naming injustice instead of keeping it out of sight and then figuring out what meaningful ways to counter that might look like. It's the year 2022. We have literal hundreds of books and resources and relationships, even in this church alone, 
to help us think about what that actually means. What it actually looks like to actually create change toward a more just way of living. To say, okay, for the first time I'm seeing, or maybe for the billionth time, but I'm seeing it with my actual heart right now, that we have a crisis when it comes to how new neighbors through immigration and refugee resettlement are treated in our country. We have a real crisis when we look at how many kids are taken away from their first families and plopped into places that do not actually serve them. And the, and the issues that created that, that happening in the first place. When we look at houselessness, when we look at the racism that thrives, when we look at sexual exploitation and sexism that continues to thrive in our country, in our city, and, and even in the places of our churches here in Portland. And so the invitation is to figure out what we have, respond to that with, respond to the work with what we have, and then rinse and repeat. Do it all over again. I believe that the invitation toward justice begins with recognizing the way in which we as followers of Jesus believe that he lived and died and rose again. The first step toward justice we take is the invitation to know and be known by God because Jesus has died and beaten death on our behalf. The grace and mercy of Jesus have made us right with God. Full stop. We do not earn salvation because of anything we're doing or not doing. It is because of what Jesus has done and continues to do. And... There is a whole life to be lived this side of heaven in which we are invited to participate in the work of God by living a more just life. So today when you walked in, you got one of these little cards. And I made these cards for us this week because I do not want this to be a moment that passes by the Imago community without us asking a hard question of ourselves. What is my invitation to living more justly? That is not a question for the person sitting next to you. That is a question for you to wrestle with. The invitation is to look at the table that Jesus has already invited us to and to say, what does it look like for more people to join us here? What does it look like for more people to know the fullness of who they were made to be? And what am I going to do about that? The band is going to come up, and they're going to lead us in some more music this morning, some more reflection this morning. And as they do, we're going to continue our worship this morning at this table right here. I have a mentor who always reminds me, she says, Seth, the foot of the cross is level ground. Is it the foot of the cross when we remember that we are no better or worse than anyone else? It is through the blood and sacrifice and power and resurrection of Jesus that we get to say that. And that we get to be in community with each other. It is a reminder both of of the, the injustice that has happened 
in the fact that God sees us and knows us and loves us when maybe he shouldn't have to. And yet because of Jesus and what he has done, we get to. And the invitation is as we go from this table that our lives start looking more like Jesus. That our lives start looking more like lives that are rooted in the justice of Jesus so that people in this world might know how incredible his love really, really is. So we're going to pray, and, and after we pray, you're invited to the table to come down. Come by yourself. Come with somebody that you came with. Come by a new friend. Revel in the fact that you are loved so deeply. And that love is transforming you today. God, thank you for that love. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for a time to step into what real religion truly is. God, shape us as we continue to worship. Shape us as we go from this place later today. Do not let us leave unchanged by your love today, Jesus. We pray all of that in your really, really, really good name. Amen.